Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 through 10, and can be found on page 595 in the Bibles we provide, and on page 114 of the Children's Bibles. Strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, and can be found on page 861 in the Bibles we provide, and on page 212 of the children's Bibles. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is the Gospel of Christ. Good morning. If you were here with us last week, I got confirmation that there was indeed a bird in the sanctuary. So <laughs> there you have it. And if you weren't here last week, <clears throat> we're in Acts 3. So. I'm going to ask you the same thing that I ask you every week, and I'm going to ask you the same thing every week that we're going through the book of Acts, to ask God to help you believe the reality that he is the same God that we are reading about here that dwells with us now. And that his power that dwells within his people then is the same power that dwells within his people now. And so let's hear what he has to say to us in Acts chapter 3. 
Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people." And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The word of the Lord. So about a year or two after college, I had a lot of friends who moved to Atlanta after college. And so I went down there with them to spend a long weekend. And we found ourselves at a Dwight Yoakam concert in this honky-tonk place. And, and this place was on one side of a strip center that had a whole bunch of shops and a whole ton of parking. And we got there late. And so we parked in this parking lot on the other side of that strip center. So I had to make this walk across. So after it was over... I rode by myself and I'm walking and there really wasn't anybody else out there, but I see this guy who is huge. I mean, he looks like he's probably played, could play Lyman for the Falcons. And he was with this woman who was his date. 
And as I'm getting closer, I see that they're in an argument and they're really upset. And the next thing I see is this man just takes both hands and just pushes this woman as hard as he could. And she just like skids on the ground. And so like everything in me just welled up. And I was like, hey, and he turned around and I was like, I hadn't thought of what happens after this part. <laughs> if you're a Back to the Future fan, it's sort of like George McFly, like, hey, man. And then you're like, okay, I don't know what to do now. And so this woman, this poor woman is probably thinking, oh, man, oh, no. Like, now it's not only going to be me, it's going to be this guy, too. And I'm thinking, oh, no, because I don't know what to do. And we're both in trouble now. But then all of a sudden, I, th I think me yelling had caught the attention of this person and as I'm watching this angry man stomping toward me, I see a man behind him and he's kind of giving a wave and he's coming toward all of us and he's wearing this long jacket and he pulls his jacket open and I'm so relieved to see the two things that I really needed to see right then, a badge and a gun. <laughs> and God came through and saved all of us. Um, but I tell you that story because that's kind of like what we're seeing in this passage this morning. So you have this lame man who is laying there. You have this crowd of people who's going in and out of the temple all the time. And everybody's looking for something to make their life work. And nobody's looking at the one who is in their midst, who they have totally missed, who's the only one who can make their life work. And so we do the same thing. So God is speaking to us just as much as he's speaking to the first people who, who lived this story and the first people who read this story. Because we look everywhere. We look everywhere possible, under every rock, behind every door, except Jesus to find a way to make our lives work. And so he is telling us in this passage, you have to look at Jesus. He is the only one who can make your life work. And so the three aspects I want us to look at are these. He is, God is calling us to look at the Jesus who disappoints us in order to satisfy us. He's calling us to look at the Jesus who breaks us down in order to restore us. And he's calling us to look at the Jesus who lives in us to bring restoration to others. And so first, this Jesus who disappoints us to satisfy us. Okay, so in this passage, we have this man we learn from the next chapter that we're going to look at next week, chapter four, that this man was over 40 years old. So he's a full grown man and he has been lame from birth. There's never been a day that his legs have worked because something's wrong with his ankles, something's wrong with his feet. And so this guy, is his, his ankles and his feet are dead weight. And in a lot of ways, he's dead weight. And you think about what that life experience would be like for a guy like that. He's a burden on everybody. He's having to be carried everywhere. He's having to ask people for handouts. He has nothing to contribute. He's probably full of shame and a lack of dignity. He's forgotten by people. You know, we don't hear this guy's name. I think that's interesting. It may just be that Luke didn't get his name down, but it could also be that everybody walked by this guy every single day and nobody talked to him. They just tossed money at him, but they didn't know him. They didn't even care to learn his name or see what was going on. He was forgotten by people. When you're forgotten by everybody, it makes it really easy to believe that you've been forgotten by God too. Because you don't have any 
tangible reinforcement that you matter to anybody. So why would you matter to him? So Peter and John are here, and we got to remember from chapter one of Acts that they are literally, they are ambassadors for Christ. Jesus lives in them, and he is using them as vessels to take him and his kingdom everywhere, to be his witnesses everywhere that they go. And so they go to this man, and they say, look at us. You know, this guy was probably looking down. And Peter's, Peter's saying, look at us. Look at me in the face. And now I want you to understand that something's about to happen. And I'm not just like any other person that's walking by here. And so then he, he goes into this, what he says to the man. and says, look, I don't have any money. But that's not really what you need. You know, you're asking for money because you're just asking for, you don't want to get your hopes up. Because you don't think anything can be done about what you really need. So you're just asking for money so you can eke out this pitiful living and just survive day to day so you can just do the same thing again tomorrow. And Peter says, yeah, we're not going to do that. I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you freely. And that is the authority and the power and the love and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so in his name, get up, get up and walk. And he grabbed him by the arm and he pulled him up. And this man was standing on his feet. His feet and his ankles worked and they worked really well. He was totally healed. He was walking and leaping and worshiping God. And that's what happens when God really shows up. When God really shows up, it leads to worship. Because you think, wow, the God of the universe cares enough to intervene into my life in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And so of course I'm gonna worship him. And so what's interesting too about in the Greek, the word for get up is, means like to get up from sleep or even to like get up from death. And then the word for walk is the word that means walk around. So like when Paul talks about living by the spirit in Galatians, it's that word, like walking around, like doing life, so living, you know? And so in a sense, what Peter is saying to this man is live, live and flourish. Your ankles and your feet live your soul live, because that's what Jesus has come to do. He has come to bring flourishing where there was only deadness. And so how do we see this in our context? Well, one place I see this from my life is when I was coming out of undergrad, I was going to grad school. I was applying to go to grad school. I had all these great places on my, my list of where I was going to go. And I talked to some admissions counselors at some of these places, and they said, man, you're going to have a a choice to make because your grades are this and your scores are this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all my friends, like all, all I cared about was just climbing the next rung. You know, what, what was I going to do to be significant, to be somebody, to be a success, to make my life matter? So it was always the next thing and the next thing. And, you know, all my friends, you know, all these people I'm hearing stories about, well, you know, I got into this med school or this law school or taking this job on Wall Street or whatever, and everybody's comparing and everybody's doing all this stuff. Well, it comes time to like figure out where, where I actually got in. And it wasn't very many places. And it was devastating. And because I thought, you know, man, how embarrassing. You know, I even got told by the admissions counselor at this one place, well, you're definitely going to get in here. And I didn't get in. I didn't even get on the wait list. And so I, you know, it took a lot of sorting out 
of like, what's going on? But see, like in this story, when Peter says no to what this guy first asked for, you know, in this story, it's pretty instantaneous. I'm not going to give you money, but I am going to do this. And God is always doing stuff like that, but it's not always instantaneous. A lot of times there's a big gap in between the first part and the second part of that sentence. I'm not going to give you this thing you asked for. Wait for it for a week, 40 years, because I'm going to give you what you really need and what you didn't think that anybody could give you. And so like for me in this story, what God was doing for me was saving me from slavery to that. He's saying, you don't even understand what significance is. You don't understand any of this. So I'm not going to give you this because I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to help you understand where your significance comes from and where your identity comes from. I'm going to pull you off of this rat race, of this slavery to always the next thing because there always is a next thing. It never ends. There's always one more thing. And so he's disappointing me to satisfy me. That's, that's how he works. That is what he does. And so what do we do? What are we, what are we supposed to think about this? Well, I think a good place to start is peel back the layers of what we think we want and confess what we actually want. You know, the things that we don't ever talk about because it's too painful to think about them because we think, well, that's never going to happen, so I'll just settle for this. Well, God's asking us to unearth what that stuff is and bring that out into the light and to confess what we're really doing in life. And a lot of times it's this. It's a lot like this lame man. We are just limping along from one day to the next, trying to eke out a little survival for ourselves in our our broken state. And we also have to confess that, you know, even for those of us who would claim Christ, There are a lot of times that that we don't believe that he is willing or able to do anything about what we really have going on. And that's how that's how you die. I mean, that's how a church feels dead is nobody shows up expecting God to show up or do anything. I struggle with that. I struggle with really believing that he cares enough to listen to me, one person, about what I want or what, what I desire, or what my hurts are, but he does. And then also, if I get that down, then I struggle to believe that he really has the power to do anything about it. You know, I start to, I start to paint a picture of God like some senile, old, decrepit grandfather who really means well, but he can't really do anything. And that's just not who he is. But we have to confess that that's where we are. And when we're disappointed, we've got to believe that Jesus has the power and the authority and the love that we need to make something work and to have a category that he might be disappointing us because we're asking for the wrong thing and that he is going to give us something so much better and believing that nothing, nothing is beyond His healing, no physical need, no emotional need, no spiritual deadness is beyond his healing. And so the second thing we want to look at is from the perspective of these respectable people that are coming in and out of the temple, passing this man every single day, we need to look at the Jesus who breaks us down to restore us again. These people 
it says were filled with wonder and amazement at what they saw. But something that's very important for us to note is that wonder and amazement are not the same thing as worship, okay? Two very, very different things. Not the same thing as worship, and is also not the same thing as having hearts that are full of thanksgiving for what God has done for this broken man. They just saw a spectacle, and they went running after it to see if they could get some of that for themselves. And we see this in what Peter says in verse 12. His, his question exposes where their hearts are. He says, why do you stare at us like we have the righteousness or the power to make something like this happen? In essence, why are you not connecting this with God? You know, the God who came here, you come here to worship on a daily basis, who you sing and talk about as spoke the entire creation into existence. Why is that such a leap to think that the God who can speak the universe into existence out of nothing could heal one guy's ankles and feet? But no, you're always looking for something out on the horizon, something that's shiny and that gets your attention and you think, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the next thing. You're not expecting God to show up. You're bored by him. You're bored by coming here and worshiping. And when he does show up, you totally miss him because you weren't looking for him. So you have to see that the only savior that you need, the only rescue boat that is coming to you has already come. It's Jesus. And if you miss him, you're in trouble because there's not another boat coming. And that's what he's saying to these people. And he explains why this happens. It's not a coincidence. It's not a, a bad set of circumstances, or maybe next time it would have been different, or you just didn't come to the temple that one day that we taught the lesson about how Jesus was going to come, and you missed that. So no, it's, it's this entire orientation. It's that our sin condition, I'm going to say our, because we're in the exact same place these people were. We would have done the exact same thing. Our sin condition is so much more serious than we would ever imagine. And here's how warped and wicked their hearts are. Listen to what Peter says to them. God sent you this savior that you needed. What did you do? You refused him. So the God of the universe sends you a savior. You say, no, thanks. And don't even try to blame it on Pilate or the Roman government. You might say, oh, well, you know, we really wasn't our fault because he's the one with the authority and he brought him up and he's the one that actually said he could be crucified. He said, no, no, no. Pilate was going to release him. You demanded that he take him and crucify him. So this is not on Pilate. This is on you. God glorified Jesus. You disowned him and delivered him up to torture and death. You wanted to exchange the only holy and righteous man who has ever lived for a murderer. And you killed the author of life. Like that is how warped you are. That is how deep the evil and the sin brokenness goes down into your core. It is not that you stubbed your toe and said the S word. It is not that you looked at somebody inappropriately as they were walking by you. It is not that you drove nine miles over the speed limit. It is that your whole being is in rebellion against the God of the universe. That's what we're talking about. And so Jesus breaks us down to restore us. 
And I see this, one example in my life of where I'm like these people is I love to read. And so one of the things I love to read are theology books. And from time to time, God will show me that you are devouring these books on theology that talk about me, but you're not meeting with me at all. You would rather read about me than come and pray and talk to me. Now, why is that? Because I'm just like them. I want any other savior than Jesus. Why? Because I don't want to have to admit that I'm as bad off as he tells me that I am. I do not want to have to give up control. And I do not want him saving me to change the orientation of my entire life. I want to still sit on the throne of my little kingdom. And that is what's happening. And we all do that in so many ways. We are just like these people. And not to diminish anything that's happened to any one of us, because we have all experienced suffering in different ways, some of the suffering that we have experienced has been pretty horrific whether it's been loss or something that's been done to you. But here's the thing that, that in your suffering, in my suffering, the thing that we can never, ever gloss over is this. Our problem is not ultimately anything that happened to us. That is very serious and very significant, and it definitely impacts our life. But your and my problem is always that we have rebelled against the God of the universe and set ourselves up on the throne against him. And so nothing in our life is gonna work while we are doing that. We have to make peace with that reality. We are always looking for the next position, the next person, the next stage of life, the next car, the next house, the next vacation, the next workout, the next diet, the next study, the next book, the next, 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 next. We are always scanning the horizon for something to come and save us and make our life work. And we are missing the Savior who has already come, who is already here. And you know what's really scary, if we want to be honest? Paul, in 2 Timothy, warns Timothy about people like us. You know what he says? He says this, they have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. We got to pay attention to that. We have got to pay attention to that. We've got to confess that when we find ourselves in that place and ask God to do something about that. And so lastly, I want us to look at Jesus kind of through the, the, the lens of Peter and John here. We want to look at the Jesus who lives in us to bring restoration to others. Look at verse 16. This is amazing. Verse 16, we see that it is the name of Jesus that heals this man. Jesus is physically present through Peter and John, his spirit dwelling in them. And they are, Peter says, by the power and authority of Jesus, you stand up and walk. And that is exactly what happens. It says immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And he stood up and he walked and he leapt. And, and God is wanting to do this in our lives. If we are in Christ, then his spirit dwells in us and he has put his spirit in us in part 
to spread the kingdom and be witnesses of his healing on all levels and the truth of the gospel. One example of this is recently, uh, a couple months ago, I was reading one morning. Um, in my reading, I was, was looking at this book by this really, or they quoted this really liberal theologian who probably is not even a Christian, but he was talking about how you know, back in the day, we talked about healings and miracles and things like that. But now, you know, we have science and the medical system and we know a thing or two. And so clearly that was all a bunch of hocus pocus. And so I stopped there for a second and I just thought, you know, Lord, I, I don't believe that that is the case. I believe that you are just as powerful and able today as you were back then to do these things. And yes, you certainly use the medical community and the, the advances that you've allowed us to make through your insight and your wisdom and gifts and all that stuff. But you know, as a pastor, as I'm meeting with people, as I'm praying with people, and just for my own sake, I don't really, you know, I've heard things on all over the spectrum on this, you know, the way that you would or would not heal people these days. And so just show me, I don't, I don't really know. And to be quite honest, I don't know what to think about that. So if you're wanting me to be a part of this and you're inviting me to be a part of this, then I would love to. But if I don't need to be thinking about this or worrying about this too much, then let me know that too. So that's about 9 or 10 a.m. one morning. Um, that same day, about 3 p.m., I go to Starbucks in Bearden and I'm walking in there. I order my drink and I'm walking over there waiting for my drink to come. And I see a guy that I know and he's the only person in there that I know. So I said, hey, man, what's going on? He said, hey, not much. What's up with you? And I said, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, how are you doing? And he just lit up and he said, man, I'm doing great. And I said, okay, lay it on me. Why are you doing great? And he said, well, you see, I'm in this prayer group that we meet every Monday night for two hours. And it's guys from all different denominations and churches. And we just get together for two hours and pray. And he said, and last Monday night, we had three guys that talked about some physical issue that they had. One guy was like, he was a college pitcher. And so ever since then, his shoulders just had like chronic shoulder pain. That's really bad. Another guy had just been diagnosed with mono a couple days before. And the third person, I can't remember. And he said, we prayed for all three of those guys and, and God healed them all immediately. And I said, hmm. That's interesting. I think we were supposed to meet up today. And he said, you know what? I think we were too, because I was walking to this other place across the street and I just had this funny feeling like, no, you need to go to Starbucks. And so he said, I just walked in and I was like, oh, Matt's the only guy I know here. Maybe I'm supposed to talk to him. And sure enough, I realized like after he says this, he's just standing by the door. He didn't even order anything. It's just amazing because it's, you know, God is so clearly doing something. And here's what he invites us to, to get real practical. He invites us to pray with and pray for people, for their actual needs. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. We're not the ones that have any power to do anything, but he does. And he's given us his power and authority. And so when people come to us, instead of giving them advice, let's take them to the king of the universe who has the power to do anything and see what he wants to do. And what else? Let's be proclaiming the gospel. You know, we've, we've been talking about this elective on evangelism coming up this summer. I would love for y'all to be there. 
Because we need to be able to articulate the message of the gospel so that people can hear it and understand it and believe it. God is, you know, I I just feel so convicted so often of what I settle for. When he is inviting us to be a part of what he is doing in such awesome ways. And so when we articulate the message of the gospel, what are we articulating? Who, who is this Jesus that Peter is talking about? Well, just like at Pentecost, he rattles off this incredible sermon in the boldness and the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And he explains who Jesus is. And, it, and he basically just walks through the entire Old Testament. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read off all of these things that he tells us that Jesus is from the Old Testament. And I think it would be entirely appropriate to get an amen after each one of these things. Because it's pretty amazing. So here we go. He is the word of God by which all things were created. He is the central theme and the main character of the entire Old Testament from Moses who wrote Genesis down to Malachi. He is the fulfillment of every biblical prophecy that there is. He is the blessing of Abraham through whom all the families of the whole world will be blessed. He is the Lamb of God who shed blood takes away all of our sin. He is the one like Moses who will lead his people out of slavery to sin and death and into the promised land to live with God in a good and flourishing place forever. He is the holy and righteous one, God himself, who David says that the grave cannot hold. He is the great high priest who went in once and for all to offer in the Holy of Holies the sacrifice of himself to blot out all of our sin forever. He is the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about who was crushed for our sin. And he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the heir of the throne of the house of David, whose kingdom will never see an end and will expand to the entire universe. And it is through this Jesus that God will deal with every injustice once and for all, and he will wipe away every tear from the face of all of his people. That's amazing. And and Peter rattles this off, and then he says, this Jesus was sent to rescue you, and you murdered him. So guess what? He was sent back through us again, because God's mercy is so great to, to rescue you and to call you to turn from your sin and turn to God and experience seasons of refreshing that will last for eternity because this is your problem, this is what you're made for, and this Jesus is who you need to look at for life. And he invites us to do that. So pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. We love you so much. We ask that you would open our eyes to help us look at you, to help us get honest about our need for you, who we are, who you are, And just to see you work in your power and your righteousness and your authority. In Jesus' name, amen.